Welcome to Inflection Points, where in each episode we talk about the pivotal moments in the careers of tech leaders that help them navigate a new path to growth. My name is Joe Hine, and in this episode we speak with Lee Hackett, ex-pro footballer turned multi-entrepreneur, now founder and group CEO of Blueprint X, who deliver business growth through connecting people and technology. You'll love this one because we discuss how corporate life differs from the dressing room, the types of market Lee looks for when starting up a business, and the importance of ESG when repositioning his business. From SI Partners, this is Inflection Points. Lee Hackett is Group CEO at Blueprint X. Blueprint X designs and delivers business growth by connecting the dots between people, workflow, technology and data minimizing waste and empowering productivity. With no formal education, he has helped scale seven startups, driving over 50 million in new revenue without any external investment. Lee, welcome to Inflection Points. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Let's do it. So not many of my guests start their career in professional football. Was it an easy path into the footballing world? Hmm. That's a tough question to start with, Joe. Is an easy path? No, uh, is the answer. But it, it certainly started early. Um, I think like most footballers who go into professional football, they're probably playing football at a high level for 10 years before they would start at a professional level. So there's a lot of kind of ups and downs along the way. Mm. Um, so it certainly wasn't an easy path into it. Um, looking back now, it's probably a lot harder than what I realized at the time, but it was certainly a, a fun path for sure. Yeah. What, what was it like being a professional footballer? Uh, nothing like it looks in the Premier League, right? So I think the, the way I, um, where I played, um, I think, and, and the time I played, it was, a, it was a while back. So it was hard. It was, I was back in the early days uh, in the nineties where, you know, you kind of an apprentice, you, you come, you left school, you clean the dressing rooms, mm. you clean boots. You're just a, a kind of free, um, cleaner for the football club and you played football. <laughs> that was the kind of, uh, um, and did a lot of running and that was the kind of gist of it. But actually I learned so much there, right. About life and sport as a lot of, about life and business. And I think, uh, on reflection, um, yeah, it was a tremendous time. So it is cool playing football for sure, but it's a lot harder than what many people think. And like you say, probably back in the day, but still many, 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 many people's dream. Um, but it sadly wasn't meant to be for you. And, and in your early twenties, you were let go by Wigan, mm. um, which kind of gets us to our first inflection point. Um, how did you manage the transition from football into a, a new career? Yeah, it was quite easy, really, for me. I can't say I had a really specific plan. It was kind of, right, I now need to move from professional sport into business. It was really, you know, like uh, probably most decisions, let's get a job and a real job and uh, something that's going to pay the bills. Yeah, Sales seemed a, an obvious thing to do, for sure, Um you know, for lots of different reasons, probably a lot of it because you, that day when you were in sales, you, you got a car and that was attractive. Mm. So, um, <laughs> but I think the transition was quite easy for me for a number of different reasons, um, which we can go into, but I think from a, particularly around being coachable, um, you know, being resilient, 
um, in business is necessary. And you certainly get those kind of things in professional sport. Yeah. But let's dive into it. I mean, what, what was it that you learned in your footballing world that, that transferred? Yeah, I think it was those things. That I think uh, being coachable, you know, particularly where the level I went into business, mm. I was lucky. I got into a a really good company um, that was progressive, um, that was looking for young talent, that was growing heavily. Um, so being coachable was really important. And I'd obviously in professional sport, you're coached every day and literally every minute of every day. Yeah. And so my level of coaching that I was used to was, you know, in, in a business environment was, uh, was easy transition. I think resilience, which is really important, you know, the sport is really, really difficult and, um, and it, it really does toughen you up and, and you have to be resilient to be able to uh, exist at that level. Um, and repetition, I think habit. Um, and something I, I really spend a lot of time on now is is the power of repetition, the power of habits. And mm. again, in sport, that's what you're kind of doing every day, right? You're training, you know, every day, same kind of training to improve bit by bit. And in a business context, that can be quite powerful. And that's definitely something I've I've taken into my business career. Yeah. And and I think it was it was whilst you were at Wigan that you you got offered something that I don't think everyone would normally take up in your position. But you, there was a business course on offer. What? Why did you decide that that was something you should do? Well, it was pretty typical then, and I think it's not too dissimilar now. So when you're in that kind of scholarship apprenticeship phase of of playing football, you have to go to college as well. It's kind of I'm a member of the PFA. Professional Footballers Association now, even still. Okay. And there was a lot of support that, because obviously the percentage of of people who play professional football or any sport who actually then build a career out of it is really, really small. So that's kind of built into the system as in being able to provide, particularly at that age, um, the opportunity. And I, I took that opportunity and uh, again, with no deliberate reason in mind, it was, you know, not even thinking about a backup um, because I was just thinking about continuing my, my uh, football career. Um, but I'm glad I did. It certainly, uh, certainly paid off. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll, we'll perhaps come to that again later. Um, so then you moved on, you entered the business world and you started at Travis Perkins in 1994 and you worked your way up to becoming the youngest branch manager. How did you adapt to corporate life? Yeah. So corporate life's not too dissimilar again from the dressing room, you know, um, lots of egos, yeah, lots of competition, lots of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was quite, again, an easy adaptation in that corporate world. You know, I was ambitious. I was either work ethic, uh, but I was really also lucky. I had some fantastic mentors. And um, by Travis Perkins, you know, John Carter, who was actually CEO of Travis Perkins Group, I think, um, up until last year, something like that, was a huge influence on me um, in Travis Perkins. So I got to spend a lot of time in a fast track program that I was in at board level with some of those guys who were serious um, A-game players. And, you know, I was kind of watching all of this thing going on. 
seeing all of these politics play out, um, you know, all of the corporate type of um, drama that goes on. Um, and it was easy for me to kind of cut through it because, again, I was used to a much more uh, high-friction environment, right? It was kind of uh, what people would would find to be quite a difficult conversation for me was kind of a walk in the park because I was used to being shouted in the face by a coach mm. uh, on a wet Tuesday morning in Wigan, right? So <laughs> the, these things for me at the time, obviously, of course, I didn't know this, right? Because, but it's only on reflection 20 years later that you kind of be able to look back and go, okay, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's how that played out. That's how that worked. So for me into that, corporate environment was a was was a really good fit yeah what what do you think separates you from like you say because in the football clubs they they prepare you for life after football because not everyone will be successful what do you think has separated you and the success you've had from a lot of the other people that would have been in that room that that, that didn't have a professional football journey and had to make it in in another walk in life um hard to say joe really i think from a you know a, a, there was the vast majority of the people in that dressing room, we still have a a Wigan old boys WhatsApp group, right? And, you know, some of those individuals have been gone on to be tremendously successful in their walk of lives. I, I think in general, the way, what I would say about that is I would I don't know if there's some research around this. I'm sure there would be, right? Is if you were to look at individuals who play sport in general at quite a high level at an early age if you then track their career uh, throughout that, would they be more successful than, yeah, the average population, right? Uh, that would be an interesting study to to see. Mm. My guess would be yes, because of the reasons that the things I've mentioned before, right? Because you, you've got to be consistent. You've got to be coachable. You've got to have a work ethic. You've got to be resilient. Mm. And of course, those things in uh, as you get older become even probably more important. I think there's um, there's some parallels to the special forces. Yeah. We've we've I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of guys who have come out of special forces and have been have applied a lot of what their learnings, a lot of their skills into into business and the the intensity with which they can work um, translates well into entrepreneurialism and and the startup world. It's um, yeah, it's very interesting. I think you like you say that'd be a, a fascinating statistic to look into. But it, but it was whilst you were at Travis Perkins that an opportunity arose to start a family business. Your brother asked you to join him, but you turned him down. Why? Yeah. So I was really lucky um, that he, he came to ask me again. But I, I, the first time he asked me was, I think I was just really embedded in that corporate culture. And I was, you know, I was super ambitious. I was doing M&A integrations I was going all around the country kind of managing teams solving problems you know to use your special forces analogy it's very similar right you have to deal with difficult situations um in a calm and collected way you have to be able to resolve those issues and move forward um solve on the spot all of those kind of things so I was really embedded into that and so when Peter my brother was really lucky and privileged that he come and asked me to do it. Um, but I, I kind of ha had to say no at the time because I thought that career at a corporate level still had some time to run. Mm. I think also, and I, I've probably not thought about this until right now, but I, I think it's relevant. I think my daughter at the time was really young mm. and probably like a lot of people when they're thinking about going into a, a new business, 
which is more risky. Um, and you've mm. got a family and a young family, all of those kind of things were probably mixed up in that decision. Mm. So yeah, at that point, I was privileged to be asked, but I had to kind of say no. But uh, and, and maybe a sliding doors moment that you had the opportunity to repeat, because like you said, he he did ask you again. What was different the second time? Oh yeah, so this is a, definitely a sliding door moment. So I think what happened, and I can't remember the exact time afterwards, but... I realized there was a situation where I was, I think in a, in a corporate environment, whatever way you cut it, you are a number, right? And so I think I had a realization moment that actually, mm, yeah, I, I'm not what I thought I was, was right? And I, again, at that time, really young, um, inexperienced in that scenario, and there was a kind of reshuffle in some way or whatever that might be, and I didn't get what I wanted or I wasn't, or was overlooked or whatever that might be. I can't remember. And I went, actually went back to Peter and asked him and said, Hey, you know, it was that opportunity that you mentioned. And, you know, and I was again, privileged and thankful that he said yes, because, um, that was, that was definitely a, an inflection point for sure. Yeah. And stepping off the corporate ladder and into the world of entrepreneurialism. What did you enjoy about that, about that, the, the change in circumstance, the change in the world? Yeah, I think it was it was just in business sometimes, and you know this, Joe. Timing is everything, mm. and um, when you get a mix of individuals, my brother is definitely more entrepreneurial than me, and I, coming from a corporate perspective, could bring to the business the corporate position, you know, in terms of structure and a plan. Mm and a vision and all of those kind of things that you need to scale a business. And what the business already had was unbelievable entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, you know, we were buying and selling and living on a difference at the time, which is always a great business model, right? I love those business models. And that was just a perfect moment to scale in that market that we were in because the market was um, a niche market, which has been a, always a, since then, a, an MO of mine mm. where you can scale faster. So, yeah, it was, it was just good timing and a good combination of skills, which I think in any business in a scale-up you need. You need different people who bring different things mm. uh, to the table, and we certainly had that. The understanding of, uh, yeah, the, the team. And I think so many, again, it'd be interesting to know the statistic, but where I work with entrepreneurs who have got a team around them, um, you know, if, if they've got more than one founders, I, I think you, you definitely get, a different balance and a slightly different conversation and, and, you know, I wonder if it is, you know, more successful in that way. Um, but you, you certainly have to build that team if you're going to be successful in any kind of business. Um, but it, you were phenomenally successful. Um, CMS, uh, acoustics, uh, you went from that standing start to market leadership in about four years and eventually you actually sold that business to a FTSE organization. Yeah. What were your takeaways from that journey that you went on with your brother? Yeah, so CMS Group we, uh, and CMS Acoustics was one part of that group. There was four companies, and I come from Travis Perkins, I who were very acquisitive. I learned a few things there, which I could then apply to the business that Peter was in, and and one of those was, you know, uh, key market differentiation um, and scale, and the importance of brand and structure. And I knew what corporates buy. Right, I I knew mm. what corporates were looking for at that point, and I actually wrote down on a piece of paper with Peter what companies would ultimately 
come and acquire the business and and that was mm. yeah nearly completely right um but we had a list a short list of of businesses and i think the key takeaways were patience although it was really quick it doesn't feel quick when you're in it yeah and you know me right i'm a tremendously impatient person but at the same time you have to you know understand that it takes time and if you're looking at corporates, what they're really buying is structure and uh, and a team yep. and something that's repeatable. So if you take out that key, key management team, that business continues on now. Um, and so I'm tremendously, you know, uh, SIG PLC who bought that business, you know, um, have consolidated a lot of their business, but the CMS group and CMS Acoustics in particular is still a standalone um, even mm-hmm. now in that group. And that's something we're tremendously um, proud of because I think that's a testament to the brand that we built, the mm-hmm. reputation that we built. Um, and I think ultimately that's what corporates will buy. They will buy something that is low risk, repeatable. Mm-hmm. So I think in building that business, um, the importance of those two things is is really key. Yeah. And that's quite a legacy. There are not it's relatively rare for a long period of time. And that was quite some years ago now that, that for a brand to survive in its parent company, um, uh, so it's a phenomenal achievement. Mm. And, and that led you on to, um, in 2018, starting up Blueprint X. Um, for those of us that don't know, could you tell us a bit about what you do for your clients? Yeah, so Blueprint X is, um, you know, we connect the dots for clients right across, you know, people, process, technology, workflow. Mm. Um, so everything across sales, marketing, customer service, uh, these critical systems and processes that uh, we help clients, you know, uh, get the most from those technologies and platforms. And, um, and that is something I learned kind of back in the day when we were scaling CMS and, and other businesses after that, mm. that, you know, how important these systems are. So what we do now is exactly what we kind of learned to do in the early days of um, of CMS in terms of getting these critical systems in place that allow the business to scale. And so that, that was the, the, the spark of inspiration was looking at how you were successful at CMS and thinking I could help other people do that. Yeah. So I, I, after I left CMS, we, you know, did the, uh, the kind of the whole, pretty much the whole management team left. And Mm. I then did a similar project of what we did in the UK in the Middle East. And, um, so that took me up to about 2013 and I'd kind of, so I'd built a business in the UK, scaled it, exited. I wanted to do an international project. So we, which we did in with a German company called BSW, a huge company. Um, so my kind of bucket list of projects, if you like, was okay, I want to now do an international business which we did and it worked really well. And again, that business is um, market leader now in the Middle East. So the kind of next step for me was, okay, well, I want to go into a completely different space, right? So these were products, engineering, construction. I want to go into a completely different space and can I do it again? But can I do even bigger and better this time? And, And that came, the idea was, okay, well, niche markets is always something I like. Mm. You can grow faster, you can differentiate, uh, you can compete, margins are good, all of those kind of things. So um, so services was an interesting one. And 
And I'd seen the kind of early days of these technologies, CRM, marketing automation, exploding a little bit. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to have a crack at that. And uh, that's what we did. And it was literally just as simple as that, as let's get into it. Let's get some clients, do some stuff and see where it goes. And, and, and here we are today. That's fantastic. It's, it's, it's a very interesting journey. And many people, when they start a business, particularly in the services world, are coming out of an organization where they learn the skills or they've uh, in the industry already. But to, to, to look at something and go, that looks interesting. It also looks challenging. I'm, I'm going to jump in um, as, as a great way to start and, <laughs> and begin the journey. What were the biggest challenges of that? I mean, of starting from scratch, if you like. Yeah, skills access to skills because mm. we had no clients, right? We, did, we didn't have one client with no reputation, no employees. So um, so some really good people that, that we were kind of hired at the time. We teamed up with Liverpool University at the time and got, and mm. we did a KTP. Um, we, we had like a lot of, a lot of support from, uh, from Liverpool University at the time, which kind of gave us a real leg up. It allowed us to go in and kind of say to clients, look, we can do this stuff, right? And um, mm. and we just really were patient with it for the first few years, um, get some projects, get some clients, um, deliver some projects, deliver success, mm. and kind of figure out, I need to figure out how the kind of market works that we're in, if that makes sense. Mm. And I, the way I learn is by doing stuff. You know, I, I, I can build a business plan with the probably – with the best of them, but I, I need to be in it and do it. And that's what we did. And, and, mm. um, for the first few years was really just getting some staff, getting some projects and, and delivering those projects for clients. A KTP is a knowledge training program, is it? Knowledge transfer program. Thank you. So partnering with universities, I've seen it being really effective in service businesses because it's the access to talent and the skills that you can get and, and the reciprocity um, uh, for the university is, is incredibly valuable. And it's, it's a great way to not only start, but also to be able to scale your business when talent is, is one of the hardest parts of, of, uh, of a service, the service game. Um, but you know, you, you, you got it off the ground and, and M and A was always going to be part of your journey. Um, you know, you, you made five acquisitions, but you made that difficult move into the U S you, you bought a business called IOI in Dallas. How did you go about getting in there and, and making that acquisition? Yeah. So we, we, uh, our kind of acquisition strategy up until that point was let's look for businesses that are similar to us. So, you know, reputationally and you have a reputation for quality, great people. And there's a lot of owner manager businesses in this space. And, um, so mm. I, it was, you know, good old outreach, uh, you know, well, I would speak to the CEO and we'd build a relationship and it, sometimes it would work out and sometimes it wouldn't. And the, the US one was, yeah, the most difficult acquisition I've ever been involved in. Mm. One of the reasons why I want, I like acquisitions, uh, cause they're not easy. Um, yeah. and I like to do difficult stuff and I've never acquired a business in the US before. Mm. And that was an experience, uh, and now I've done it, so that helps. Um, but yeah, no, we 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 up until that point, we'd really targeted businesses who had a fantastic reputation, great people, and additional capability in different geos, which was what we were after at that time. Yeah, 
and and you you talked to that about building that relationship with the CEO and one of the things I've seen is that so much of M&A is done on culture and selling to your target rather than the other way around. When you're selling a business, you think that the, the, the sale process is one way. It's not, it's absolutely not. It's a two-way process. The buyer has to sell to the, um, to, to, to the, to the target. And how do you go about doing that? How do you convince someone that you're the right home from them and, and, and build that relationship? Yeah, no, I think you're completely right, Joe. I think we were, I'd had lots of conversations with obviously a lot of people who were completely not interested at all, right? And um, so, and I think part of that conversation is being transparent all the way, right? In terms of right from the get-go, in terms of not, um, un, we're not under any illusions about what we're doing and how we're doing it and what we're trying to do. Building that trust, building a rapport, and I think ultimately, I, and this is something I, I kind of go on about a lot, is the individuals of the owner managers that have sold their business to the BPX group ultimately initially are buying into me because, um, and and I take that really seriously and um, and take it personally. It isn't just a transaction. And... And something I'm really proud of is every acquisition we've done, the founder is still in the business uh, in one way or another. And, and I think that's a testament to our model because we are transparent. We have good relationships. We're able to resolve issues that inevitably happen. And I think in that early stage of those conversations, we try and build that rapport through open, transparent conversations kind of no bullshit if that makes sense and yeah and that you know kind of um that honesty helps build it up honesty yeah 100 percent. yeah 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 oh that's that's fantastic insight and you know bringing ioi into the group i mean what what impact has that had on on blueprint x as a business yeah so it's transformational for us it was a transformational deal some deals you do uh you know are um bigger than others right it's it double the size of the business, um, you know, in terms of headcount and revenue, uh, gives a truly global reach. Mm. Um, you know, when we back in 2020, in the midst of all the problems that happened that year, we we kind of set a goal to double the business in two years and we did it. So it got us to there. Um, but it also broadened our capability, um, which is really important, which allows us to bring the new go-to-market, our new value proposition which is something we've been working on for a while, um, and a mix of business, right? Which is really, really important. I think in services business, businesses, there's pros and cons, right? To, to, but I think mm. we needed more of a, a mix of revenue types in the business and, um, and uh, to become more sticky with our clients and an IO certainly give us that. So it was, yeah, one of, a really strong acquisition in the sense it gave you geography, but also capability that, that you didn't have in the group, which is um, essential because M&A is risky. So you, you need to make sure you're leveraging everything you can do. Yeah. And, and as you segued nicely there, Lee, this episode is quite timely because you are repositioning, rebranding the business at the moment. What opportunity have you spotted in the market and, and that you're trying to, um, uh, trying to get hold of? Yeah, I think what we've kind of done is, you know, the 
all of the businesses that we've acquired, plus the management team of the group of, you know, collective, we're, we're probably into the hundreds of years of experience, right? And what we've done is we've brought all of that experience to bear in what we believe is a really, really strong new value proposition and go to market for the group. And, and it's all about growth mm-hmm. and and really the power and the positive impact that technology can have on businesses. And, and we've seen this um, time and time again across all of the businesses that we've acquired, across my experience in this industry. And when technology is is done well, right? Well, so when it's implemented well, when it's adopted well, it can really be a transformational thing. It can bring order to the chaos Mm. within an organization. It can allow it to make better decisions and that business then becomes a more positive or can have a more positive impact on its employees, its shareholders, its clients. Yeah. So we've kind of brought all of that together to kind of make sense of it for clients. What is this all about, right? What are actually we trying to do and, and give them a simple way to, you know, kind of achieve best in class. And so our, the new launch of, you know, Blueprint X um, around all around growth, all around, you know, um, actionable insight and really getting a return on investment from those technology investments is something we're, we're really excited about. Mm. And how did you go about starting a new proposition? What, what, what was the genesis of and, and the process that you've gone through? So that's that's a great question and 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 something that's absolutely key. I don't think for these things to work as CEO, you can kind of, you know, draft it in a slide deck mm. and kind of bring it to the business and go, ta-da, here we are, right? This is what we're actually going to do. Um, yeah. I've tried that. It doesn't work. And <laughs> um, so what we did is we, we employed a uh, chief growth officer, a guy called David Reeve, a game player, been around in this industry for a long, long time. And he led that approach. And it took us from February last year to pretty much now mm. where we went to all key stakeholders in the business, you know, probably 60 to 70% of the employees. Mm. We went to clients, we went to partners, you know, we really um, broad church of people and, and brought all of that experience and know-how to bear. And we then brought in a really, really good agency to help us kind of tell that story a company called don't be shy in manchester done a great job um and they've helped us bring that to life and um so when we launched it it was uh so exciting because it had been co-created by the whole organization so it's not the ceo coming in with a new slide deck of this is what we're going to be today um and that's made the whole thing more impactful um and real right which is really important by taking people on the journey, you don't have to sell them the, the new proposition. That they, they they are sold on it already. They're they're part of it and and brought on and on board. Um, and having those champions in any business, I guess, is essential to 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 make a change, to to bring it to life, to make it impactful for the business. Yeah, huge. And how important has been uh, sort of ESG considerations to the repositioning? And it's been front and center. I think. Um, and this is really what we've, what we live and see every day in terms of, I think technology has been pretty impactful in, you know, how it can affect and change people's lives. And it, you know, it's changed all of our lives over the last, you know, 10 years in particular. I think the next 10 to 20 years are going to be really interesting. 
um, in terms of how technology could positively or negatively impact people's lives. Uh, you know, the advent of AI and all of those kind of, and how that will be deployed into the workplace. And, you know, we're, we're, we're at the cutting edge of this. So we're seeing exactly how these things can be deployed well or deployed badly. And I think we've done it badly ourselves. So, you know, we've experienced it from all ends. And so ESG and, and you know, we just try to get it. What, what, what's the, if, how can we make or help our clients have a positive impact? And we, we really think that if we can help them make better decisions in their business, you know, and there's three major kind of stakeholder groups that we think about um, in any business is, you know, the employees, there's the, the customers, of course, and there's the, the stakeholders themselves, the shareholders, right? And technology can, you know, really bring a balance to that and allow them to make better decisions for all of those stakeholder groups so everybody wins. And that's probably my philosophy laid on this um, in terms of if we can, I think a business is at its best when all of those stakeholder groups win, right? And, mm. you know, when it's leveraged in one stakeholder group, let's say employees, right, where typically how technology has been rolled out in the past is let's spend all the money on the tech, let's spend all the money on implementation and then actually not train anybody. Mm. And and then it never gets adopted and it fails and we go around again. And the people who are really suffering there is the employees, right? Mm. And because they're constantly in this loop of change. So we think there's a better way to do that. And so ESG was front and center and is front and center of everything we do. I think that's absolutely right. It has to be the way forward. So where's where's Blueprint X heading? What's your current BHAG? Yeah, so we 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 set a um, you know we as I indicated before back in it would come to the end of 2022 in 2020 we set a goal to double the size of the business, uh, become a truly global business, which we did, which was great, and that's a testament to you know all of the employees who who uh, in the business now and in the past who made that happen. And at the early this year, we made, we set a new goal. So we set two goals and, you know, the kind of near-term goals um, around our position in the marketplace. And I set a, with the board a goal to triple the size of the business in the next three to four years. But really what we're excited about, and again, this has come from the people within the business. This is, you know, um, what we're really excited about is the opportunity to bring to market what we call growth as a service. And, and that's something really, really interested in that we're going to bring to market. Um, and we're going to, we want to become market leader in that space. And I think that's the direction of travel of what we're looking at here. So watch this space. It's early days. Um, but that's our certainly ambition. And, you know, where we'll be able to do this effectively remotely for clients uh, on a remote control basis to make it happen. And I think that's super exciting. That is very exciting. Uh I wish you the best of luck with it. I look forward to hearing more. Lee, if I may, I have one more question. After looking back, I'd want to look forward. And what is exciting you about the next 12 months? Yeah, look, the, I think the exciting thing for me about the next 12 months is, is rolling out this go-to-market and value proposition and hopefully doing some more acquisitions. But the thing I get the most kick out of, Joe, is the employees, right? And seeing our, how our employees are you know, getting better at what they do every day, working with some really great clients. Um, 
and really excited about what the impact of what we do for our clients, you know, and what that'll do to their businesses in the next 12 months. And and that Mm. will have even more of a positive impact uh, than what it's having now. So ultimately for me, they're the two most important groups. So our employees and our, and our, and our customers. So super excited to see what, what happens there. Fantastic. Lee, thank you for being with us today. It's so great to hear your story. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. Inflection Points is a production of SI Partners. SI Partners is a leading corporate finance boutique for agencies, consultancies, and technology providers at the forefront of the digital economy. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Joe Hine, and you've been listening to Inflection Points.